all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, host of Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking. Join the conversation every Tuesday at 11 as we dissect issues that are important to you and your family. That's Relatively Speaking, Tuesdays only on MPB Think Radio. Morning and thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm your host, Josie Bidwell, Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Joining me in the studio today, I have Dr. Andrea Lewis. She is a professor of sleep medicine and otolaryngology, also at UMMC. And guys, we're talking about my absolute favorite thing in the world today, which is sleep. So if you are a regular listener to the show, that you know that I talk about the importance of sleep in a multitude of health issues and how we need to be sleeping the correct amount and good quality sleep for optimal health. And now I've got an expert that's going to help me tackle this as well. And I hope that we um, are able to answer some of your questions today. If you want to chat with us about any problems you might be having with sleep, we'd love to talk with you. And you can always send me an email, fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, Dr. Lewis. Hey, good morning. I'm excited to be with someone who shares my passion for for sleep. Well, you have found her. Uh, So let's kind of start with what it is you do at UMC and how long you've been doing that. Sure. So I've been at UMC. I have to think about that now. (laughs) It creeps up on you. It does. About 12 years now. And um, I did a residency in otolaryngology and further training, a fellowship in sleep. And they're, the two are integrally related. Mm-hmm. Most of the tonsils that ENTs take out are for sleep. So by just nature of us studying and focusing on the head and neck anatomy, it, it's that's where, you know, and, and what we'll talk about today, mm-hmm. the relationship between the anatomy and um, sleep apnea. So it's an integral part of that. So in my practice, I, I see general ENT patients, but also see a lot of um, – sleep and treat a lot of sleep patients medically and surgically mm-hmm. with CPAP and um, and things such as the Inspire device, which we'll talk about. I'll also treat a lot of people, which we can talk a little bit more about, who are just having trouble with CPAP for um, smaller procedures, such as nasal procedures and things like that to help them tolerate it. So really a full spectrum practice for sleep, for the mm-hmm. medical and surgical treatment of sleep. And, you know, I love how you mentioned a multitude of options there, because yeah, I think people... Right think, oh, I have sleep apnea, I have to have CPAP, and if I can't do CPAP, then I'm just I'm out of luck, and I'm not going to get my sleep apnea treated. But you want to work with a sleep specialist because there are a multitude of options that we can look at. Right, absolutely. I always tell people, I'm like, please, if you know if this doesn't work out for you, come back. Mm-hmm. Don't put your CPAP in the closet. We can't help you if you don't, you know, come back and see us. And and I see that so much. Uh, you know, we'll be doing an intake on patients, and we'll they'll say, I have a CPAP. And I, 
But do, do you wear it? <laughs> Doesn't <laughs> or, help. <laughs> or is it just decorative? You right. know? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> sometimes it is. And people... I think are afraid to to tell us that you know they're they're going to be like oh well they think I'm not trying or any of these kinds of things and it can be a big adjustment you know so if there's something that didn't work well for you don't just not come back right talk to us about what's going on because at the end of the day I want to get your sleep condition adequately managed because it affects all the other parts of your body. So before we dig into that, we have already got a caller on the line. I love that eagerness this morning on a Monday. We're going to go to Corinth and say, good morning, Brandon. How can we help you? Hey, yes, good morning. Um, I've got a quick question about taking melatonin uh, for adults, of course, not for children. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I didn't know, you know, my wife and I will take it every night uh, and just because we sleep really good with it. But Mm -hmm. I didn't know if that's a bad practice uh, to get into and if we really ought to save it to where if you have a bad night the night before and you really need to zonk out that night if that's a better approach or just kind of generally what your thoughts are on it because there's not much information on the bottle yeah uh, there's not <laughs> and there's i feel like there's a lot of mixed opinions mm-hmm. about melatonin um and certainly you can you know read a lot of those you know online but in reality there's not a lot of negatives or side effects, you know, with um, with melatonin, and it's not habit forming. Um, you know, of course, if you're taking melatonin and then you're still getting bright light exposure at night, um, it's you know probably not helpful. You know, our bodies do make our own melatonin, and so if we're um, in dark light and have that time before bedtime, we will make our own. And smaller doses are good for melatonin mm-hmm. for people adjusting schedules and things like that. Higher doses do make us a little sleepy, but you know, still with the right sleep hygiene and environment. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. There's not a lot of long-term health effects. There's some you know questionable side effects with some other medications and such. But I don't know that any of those that you're going to notice. But um, if you're using and good sleep hygiene and scheduling and things like that, you may find that you you know you're not still needing it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but not not okay. a real problem for you using it when you need it. And you know, awesome. I, I, yeah, I feel the exact same way. You know, what I unfortunately see folks do is they take supplemental melatonin, but then they don't do any of the things yeah, that would help you bright light, <laughs> that yeah. would help you utilize um, melatonin because that, you know, just like Dr. Lewis said, we kind of make it and release it. And one of the things that helps us do that is, is darkness. And what directly tells us not to release that melatonin is the presence of, of light. And so if we're going to take a melatonin and still have a cell phone, a TV, a laptop, all those things kind of blaring right in front of us, then it's probably not helpful. Um, but if you're taking a low-dose melatonin and you're employing all those other sleep hygiene measures and you're resting well, and when you wake up in the morning you feel rested, not groggy, and all those things, it's fine. Um, another thing I see people do is just con- continuously increase their dose mm-hmm. they're like if this if three milligrams didn't work true. Yeah. perhaps five will mm-hmm. and right. if five doesn't work how about 10 and you can get quite large amounts of that and it actually starts to be counterproductive and then you don't sleep well from that either so if you're using it and you're resting well and you're feeling good and refreshed in the morning then i think fine yeah definitely sure. okay. Um, awesome. Well, well, hey, I appreciate all the all the comments. That, yeah. that helps a lot. All Thanks right. Thanks so much, Brandon. You have a good rest of your day. 
All right, let's dive back into what actually is sleep, because it is not just the absence of being awake. That is very <laughs> true. And I was thinking about when he said that, and we talked a little bit about melatonin, you know, how our bodies are designed to sleep. And so each day, like all the things that we do and the times that we do them start helping us release different hormones and set our bodies up for sleep at night. I don't know if you always notice when you get in bed, you're kind of cold, like your body's temperature Mm -hmm. even starts to decrease and starts to warm back up in the morning. So our bodies were designed, you know, for sleep. And so at night when we sleep, our brain rests and it actually clears out all the neuronal junk that we make during the day in our brains and we consolidate our memory and we our bodies heal if you deprive Mm -hmm. rats in a lab of sleep they you know will have sores they'll eventually die but they can't heal so you release a lot of healing hormones always tell people too, you release growth hormone in your deep stages of sleep and so that's that's the hormone we all want it's the one that that makes our skin look pretty and young and makes us build muscles and so there's so many important things happen at night you know when you sleep it's it's like breathing and eating it's Mm -hmm. a you know we were made physiologically to um to sleep for all those health reasons yeah i think people think it's very passive you know you Mm -hmm. go to sleep and just nothing's Mm -hmm. going on right right? because you're not cognitively aware of those things but you just mentioned a whole host of things that are occurring that are really important from a symptom standpoint, from a disease management standpoint, you know, you mentioned kind of clearing out some of that that junk, that neuronal yeah. kind of garbage, so to speak, mm-hmm. those byproducts of things, and processing our emotions and our memories. And so if I'm working with someone who is having trouble with anxiety and we're yeah. not sleeping well, then the processing of those emotions and fears and all that happens during sleep and sometimes we kind of get in a cycle like we are not sleeping makes our anxiety worse but then our anxiety keeps us from sleeping and that's when it really is going to be working with a sleep specialist to figure out what's the the way to break that cycle right right? are we going to need some medication to break that are we going to need some uh, cognitive behavioral therapy which I'm going to be a big fan of um, to break that or a combination of the two, at least in those initial phases, to get you resting better and sleeping better and those kinds of things. Um, but, you know, the stress hormones that, that don't get to kind of plateau out, if we're having trouble with our right. blood sugar, that's going to keep that up and elevated. Your sweet little heart likes to take a little bit of a rest. It doesn't stop beating, but right. it's <laughs> right. that would be bad. Uh-huh. But it slows down um, during yeah. certain stages of sleep. Your blood vessels relax out. So the shocking number of um, people with high blood pressure that are requiring multiple blood pressure medications at very high doses that come to see me in lifestyle and I go well let's talk about your sleep yeah and they go huh what what?" and we start to go through it and they wind up having sleep apnea you know and we can address that and then we usually can start to back down off of some of those blood pressure medicines absolutely there's a direct correlation between your likelihood of sleep apnea and the number of blood pressure Mm -hmm. medicines that you're taking so it's um, that's very, very true um, for sure. But, yeah, all those important things happen at night. At night when you sleep and very hard to control your emotions when you 
don't get a good night's mm-hmm. sleep. It's certainly associated with depression and in kids with um, ADD. Mm-hmm. That should be one of the first things, you know, that you check them for. It's very hard for them to sit still and control their behavior if they hadn't had a good night's sleep. Me too. Yeah, <laughs> me too. You know, they say the postpartum depression, you know, the really? literature would show that that has some relationship, too, with the lack of sleep a new mom, you know, gets. and. Certainly after. I remember that. I remember that. Like, what is sleep? I don't remember that during postpartum time. Right. We are going to go right over to West Memphis, Arkansas, and say good morning. How can we help you? Yes, my mom has been diagnosed with dementia, Mm -hmm. Alzheimer's, um, and now she's starting to experience sundowner. Okay. She'll sleep for five or six hours, wakes up, gets fully dressed, and starts packing things. Uh, we try melatonia. She'll fall asleep without an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, we're trying to keep her up even later than normal because now with the change in weather, time she right. wants to go to sleep at four or five o'clock. But she'll she'll go. We'll keep her up at six seven at the latest. Uh, melatonia doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah. We're up to ten milligrams. But she'll fall. Like I say, she'll fall asleep. But. Do you have yeah. any recommendations how to keep her asleep? Well, uh, the doctors, she's not on any medications at all. She's 88 years old, and um, so she, she doesn't wonder any of that, so that's not the concern at the moment. Sure. But uh, the doctors recommended, the pharmacist didn't recommend any type of sleeping, mm-hmm. prescriptive sleeping aid. Well, um, she mm-hmm. had mentioned Zyrtex at one point as, uh, you know, every now and then. When she does, when we do travel and give her Zyrtec, she does sleep all night long. But um, no, that's not something we can continue. So any recommendation? Well, sleeping the elderly is really hard, because a lot of it because of scheduling and their, you know, daytime activities and, and things like that. And a lot, of, a lot of elderly people sleep a lot during the day, and then it makes it hard at night. One of the best things that you can do is try to get her on a, you know, a schedule, try to not let her sleep during the day, natural light. You know, in the mornings. That's great. Yeah. That's great. That's not even an issue. And um, and then, yeah, keeping her up a little later at night. There's also the habit of older people. They tend to fall asleep earlier and get up earlier. So I know she's waking up really early, but it sounds like she's going to bed earlier, too. So, yeah, definitely trying to put her to bed. What um, time is she going to sleep? Um, if you don't watch her, she'll be in bed at 4.30. So we try to keep up to at least 6 o'clock. Okay. And then she's waking up what time? Uh, she may wake up some night. She may wake up after three hours, four mm-hmm. hours at 10 o'clock, completely dressed. And uh, we just let her, somebody's awake. Right. Uh, someone stays at the house. So we just let her pack her, get fully <sighs> dressed, make up her bed, come to the kitchen. We'll give her something to eat. Mm-hmm. She'll sit there for a couple of hours. And she said, well, I guess I go back to bed now. Well, And does she go on back to bed? But other times it could be 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm yeah. sorry. And does she go back to sleep then? After a couple hours, yes. After a couple hours, okay. And how long does she sleep that second time? Probably 3 or 4 hours. Okay, okay. Is she distressed at all, or is she she's happy she's <laughs> awake? Oh, she's happy. She's happy. Okay. Well, that I know y'all are tired, but that is at least a good uh, thing right, right there, because sometimes yeah. there's a lot of kind of fear and anxiety sure. um, around that, and that can be kind of doubly uh, distressing when everybody's fatigued, and then we're also having anxiety and those types of things. So I think you're doing a lot of things right Absolutely. in the fact that y'all are kind of avoiding those daytime naps, those kinds of things. 
some things that may help a little bit, just like Dr. Lewis mentioned, getting that daytime sunshine and in particular some time in the early morning hours and then some in the afternoon as well so that her brain can kind of perceive what time of the day it is um, but due to how much light and the position of the sun right. in the sky a little bit there. Um, as well, we're out on the farm, so there's a, it's a that's so nice. Sunlight yeah. is nice. She's outside all the That's time. wonderful. That's, yeah. That's wonderful there. Um, and then, you know, activities in the evening. Um, a lot of yeah. times we would we want people to kind of darken things down a little bit, but we may not want to darken things down as much um, for her in the early evening. Um, sometimes that can actually make uh, the kind of fears and those kinds of things a little bit worse. Um, so having a little bit more light in the early evening um, inside may be helpful so that she doesn't quite fall asleep so early um, there. But again, not super um, stimulating activities, uh, good, quiet activities, but with a little bit of light going on. Yeah. And I would encourage her to go back to bed a little bit more quickly. You know, it's kind of like a baby, too. You kind of keep feeding them and they keep having this routine and get up during the night and they'll keep getting up for that, even, you know, subconsciously. Mm -hmm. And so they're and uh, adults can kind of get in a pattern where they're used to breaking up their sleep. And so I might encourage y'all are really sweet to stay up with her. And, 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 um, but uh, I would encourage her to go back to bed a little bit, you know, more quickly. And she might start to, when she wakes up, realize, oh, I need to. Oh, I'm not going to get a, a big. Right. I'm not going to get up and eat and, and yeah. socialize. And yes. I should just stay in the bed. Yeah. Yeah. So those are kind of things we well, would start to try out. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you. Very uh, absolutely. Thank, thank you. you so much. All right, let's go to Peru and say good morning, Robbie. How can we help you? Hey, good morning. Good morning. I'm in search for the answer to this question. Would either of you know the ingredients in Tramadol, 50 milligram? What's Ultram? I mean, it's Ultram. Uh, what what specific ingredient are we yeah, are we right. looking for? Because that, I mean, that would be well, the ingredient. Um, would be the Tramadol. It would be the the chemical part. Okay, sometimes when I, I don't take it, it maybe once, twice a week at most. Okay. Um, I get a little energy burst, and I was just wondering where that was coming from. It makes most people sleepy. It's kind of interesting, though, because a lot of medications can have different effects. Mm -hmm. Like a paradoxical reaction to it. Yeah, and different people metabolize, you know, medications um, differently. So I'm not really sure why it gives you the... um, the little burst of energy, but I imagine mm-hmm. that's that is what's happening. You see it with folks who take Benadryl. Benadryl is supposed to make us sleepy, but sometimes it will make a certain kind of subgroup of folks have a lot of energy. And so, while those two medications are not the same class or are related, I wonder if that's something that that's going on there. Okay, yeah, I can take one Benadryl and I'm out for twenty-four. <laughs> it's funny though. I, I was thinking. I think I've had somebody else mention to me about. And maybe a post-operative patient had given tramadol to you, said it. That it, it made them but, kinda... uh, but it's not the typical thing. Most people, it makes them sleepy. Right. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's... not detrimental. Oh, no, it it's shouldn't not be. No, not, okay. The, okay. not the burst of energy. No, no. no. We but, have to worry sometimes if people have yeah. a, an over-exaggerated kind of uh, respiratory depression from those types of medications or things like but that, but, but not, not yours. Yeah, but it's not something you want to be on long-term Exactly. Either. Yeah. It sounds like you're no, using it just occasionally, which um, sounds appropriate. 
Okay. All right, Robbie, thank you so much for giving us a call. All right, and going over to Olive Branch. Good morning, Ronnie. How can we help you? Uh, Yes, uh, I've got a question about I have sleep apnea uh, from what I've been told, and they put me on a machine. I never could wear it long enough to be able to sleep. It just was like it was forced too much air. And, And that's been some years ago when that happened, and they tried to test me again, and I guess I'm just not <laughs> one that can uh, use that machine very well. I right. see there's a new system out where they do a surgery or something to open up the passage, and you at night you turn it on, and I can't think of a name. Inspire. Of uh, and, and I can let y'all talk about it and let me understand while I'm driving. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will try and tackle that for you, Ronnie. Um, Absolutely. You drive safe. All right. So Ronnie is describing a very typical thing that I see in clinic, which are folks who have been prescribed CPAP um, therapy for obstructive sleep apnea and then are not tolerating it or being able to use it um, consistently and maybe looking for a different uh, different strategy. So tell us a little bit about first, like what is obstructive sleep apnea? So obstructive sleep apnea in, in a simple you know, form is um, when your airway closes at night. And I always tell people when you're sitting up awake, you know, now you're breathing, you know, just fine. But when you lay down at night, your muscles relax. And if your airway is already narrow for different reasons, or your muscles relax more than more than they should, um, and then your airway narrows either enough to cause your oxygen drop and make you breathe harder and work harder to breathe, or actually enough to close all the way so you're trying to take a breath but you can't can't move air. And and it's a very complicated thing in the fact that um, your body gets all the sympathetic stimulation to wake you up to start breathing normally so that. Because your body's it's like, hey, breathe. Yes, it's not going to just let you stop. Because people are always like, I'm stop, scared. I'm going to stop breathing. I'm like, oh, your you know, body keeps keeps waking you up. You know, may not remember waking up all those times, but you get all these little arousals, and your oxygen drops, and so it it really makes you work hard at night and creates a lot of inflammation in your body, and so so many health problems are associated with that. But in the in the short answer, it is stopping breathing um, in your sleep and. There is a certain number of times that kind of fall into a normal normal range with anything, but really the more times that's occurring, the more associated it is with, you know, adverse health mm-hmm. outcomes. And so how does a CPAP, how does that therapy address those issues? So CPAP works to blow air through the airway, to stent the airway open, and so that you don't stop breathing. Um, CPAP machines are, you know, adjustable. There's different settings, different pressures and things like that, depending on how much someone needs to keep their airway um, from collapsing. And I always describe the Inspire device. I always, when I tell people and I tell them that's how the CPAP works, is by blowing air. I always say, well, the Inspire device works to provide tone to those muscles that are collapsing. Um, to help open it that way. So to blow air through your airway, you have to wear something on your face. And so that's why, you know, a lot of people are looking for other options Mm -hmm. because... Yeah, and there's a variety of reasons why you may not tolerate that. Mm -hmm. I have a good chunk of folks who are kind of just 
claustrophobic and maybe have had some past traumas and things like that where they just can't handle things around their face. And so that, you know, is preventing them from doing that. Um, One thing I do like to talk to patients about is there are a variety of kind of delivery devices for CPAP, though. There's a full face mask. There's one that just kind of goes over your nose that looks like if you ever got um, the funny gas at the (laughs) dentist office, it goes right there. And then there are nasal pillows, which kind of just sit in the um, in the your the openings to your nose, and that's kind of the the least uh, cumbersome of the right, devices right. there. So if you've not done if you've not tolerated one, there's always the option of trying a different device to see if that helps you out there. And some of that's going to depend on whether you also breathe out of your mouth. You know, mm-hmm. if you're a mouth breather, mm-hmm. we got to get a little bit more creative. Usually those are full face mask folks, but there are some chin straps and things that can be done um, there. So the first step is figuring out why we're not tolerating the CPAP um, and truly see is this something that we're not going to be able to 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 work through and then the inspire can be great yeah so cpap is definitely the first line gold standard so i I do see a lot of people are like i'm not sure if i have sleep apnea or haven't had a sleep study but i'm interested in spire or other surgical options and and cpap is the first line gold you know standard Mm -hmm. and we do have a lot of good literature with that and there yeah there are a lot of simple things that can be corrected to help people tolerate CPAP. One of my personal favorite being ENT is a lot of times patients have a lot of nasal issues Mm -hmm. related to CPAP or if they already have underlying nasal issues, it can make it, you know, be hard to tolerate CPAP. And that's something that usually I can help with, with more conservative measures and, and get them happier with their CPAP and even often lower their pressures and increase their compliance by, by treating their nasal, you know, disease or sinus disease. Yeah. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. I'm Josie Bidwell, joined today by Dr. Andrea Lewis, and we are talking all about sleep today. And we've had some great callers if you want to get on the line with us today. And we have had a very patient caller waiting on us down in Mobile. So we'll say good morning, Angie. How can I help you? Um, hi. How hi. are you? We're good. Uh, yes, ma'am. I was calling because I um, had a had a cold, got okay. an ear infection. Didn't know I had an ear infection because I had no pain. Mm-hmm. I'm using Bixby Text yeah. Call to convert your voice to text and respond to you. You want to continue. All righty. I think we had a little bit of uh, technical uh, difficulty sorry. right there, Angie. I'm sorry. Um, if we get that um, fixed, uh, we will dive back into that question there about an ear infection. Um, Dr. Lewis, let's pick back up with uh, Inspire. So the, sure. the caller before um, Angie uh, wasn't quite sure what it was called, but he was alluding to the Inspire yeah. uh, treatment, which is going to be for folks who have not been able to utilize CPAP therapy for Absolutely. obstructive sleep apnea. And we mentioned it's a little bit of a surgical procedure. So yeah. usually when folks hear the word surgery, they're like, what? Yeah. That seems extreme. So tell me what, what it really yeah. is. So it is an actual, you know, it is a, a surgery. surgery. Yeah, it is a surgery. So when I think about Inspire, I really think about because that's the name of the company. So it's hypoglossal nerve stimulator is what it is. And so um, what it's designed to do is actually um, stimulate the nerve that uh, goes to your tongue. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people if we're turning on in clinic, you know, we would see tongue, you know, movement. That's not happening or it happens when they sleep, but it's not noticeable to a a bed partner and such because the mouth is closed and you're lying down. But but that is how it works to open the soft tissue um, in your airway. And so it is a it is a surgically implanted device. There's a part that goes in the chest. Um, 
And actually, one of those parts monitors um, breathing, so you can tell when you break, take a breath. So that that movement of the muscles times with your breathing at night. And then there's a part that's a battery of the of the of the um, operation that goes um, also goes in a chest pocket. And then there is a part that goes around the nerve um, uh, in your neck. So then actually, I dissect out the the branches mm-hmm. that go to the um, the branches of that nerve that make your tongue stick out. So there's branches of the nerve that make your tongue stick out and some that would actually pull it back in. And so those are dissected out and that stimulator part goes around those muscles. Now it's deep in the neck, so it's not something you can feel. Mm -hmm. And it's very small, you know, incisions and it's a same day surgery, but um, it has been, you know, a huge help for so many people who couldn't tolerate um, the CPAP. So the good thing about that is, is like we talked about is surgically implanted. And so, um, you don't have to wear um, something on your on face. face yeah. So you can have a remote control that you can put up, you know, to your chest. I mean, I do tell people, too, you can't feel the – I mean, you can feel the part in your chest, but it does not something that other people can see or right. notice. Um, but you can put the um, remote to your chest at night and turn it on, and there's a delay for it to come on, so it gives you time to go to sleep, and then it runs through the – through the night, you can pause it if you're going to the bathroom or um, if you wake up. Uh, a lot of people really acclimate to it, and so they you know, may or may not pause it um, during the night. But people do really like not having to put something on yeah. at night and for traveling. Traveling is like a that. big, yeah. There's a lot of, also a lot of people who have trouble with air blowing in their eyes from CPAP. And there are a lot of different reasons that people end up. Um, not, you know, not being able to wear it even, you know, even to the point of concern about going blind because of, you know, air blowing into their eyes. So there's a lot of different reasons people end up, you know, seeking other options. But um, but it's certainly been a nice option for a lot of people. It is also adjustable. So once it's implanted, the settings can be changed, the amount of stimulation and and a lot of other things can be changed on the device because sleep apnea is not a one size fits all. Yeah. You know, it's hard to, um, can be hard to treat. And if they're you know, if there was just one great option for everybody, there wouldn't be you know, different yeah. options for different people. So what are the qualifications for being a candidate for yeah. Inspire Therapy? And so and the qualifications and they were actually doing the the research studies when I was working as faculty in Pittsburgh, there in Pittsburgh on the device and it's been out a long time and and so most of the qualifications are based on, you know, what they've gained from from you know, the research and from the study they did before it was FDA approved. But one of the big qualifications is body mass index. Mm-hmm. And so, and some insurances have a little different qualifications, but your body mass index is based on your weight and height. Um, for Medicare, they have a, a, a limit of 35, and then most of the other insurances have a 32 BMI limit. It was recently approved for BMI up to 40, but, um, you know, we have less information on that. And, uh, you know, unquestionably in some of the studies, you know, some of the people at higher BMIs mm-hmm. have not had as good a result. So, mm-hmm. and most insurances right now still won't cover the higher yeah. BMIs. So 32 for most commercial insurances, 35 for Medicare. Uh-huh. Um, that's that's how you and I actually met. Um, because right, that's right. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> um, I was thinking about that. Yeah, yes. One of um, one of the things that we do in lifestyle medicine is obviously help people um, with a variety of, of medical conditions, yeah. but that often have a weight component to them. And so we've uh, been actually able to 
uh, help some of the patients get to that goal weight so that they're able to get right. that Inspire done, which <laughs> right. is whenever I can get someone a surgical procedure that they need that they wouldn't be able to get otherwise, that's one of my favorite things because it really does just improve quality of life for folks, yeah. you know, and that's what I really like to see. Um, and you do need a fairly recent sleep study, right? You do. So most insurances, well, not most, I would say Medicare requires within two years, but most would like it within the last few years, an updated sleep study. Um, and so that's important. And on that sleep study, there's some important things. So your severity of sleep apnea, so mm-hmm. events per hour, um, a little different cutoff for different insurances, but most of them want you at least to have moderate sleep apnea some of them have an upper limit where you can't have too many events other ones don't have that upper limit but um but they do have a requirement for they all do have a requirement for severity or the number of events that you're having um they all require that you have you know tried and failed cpap or intolerant to it which can be described in different you know Mm -hmm. different ways but um but that is a, a qualifying factor and then the last thing and i always tell people i'm like this is the best Part is a nap test. A nap test. It's a little IV nap test, and so it's like a thirty minute. Because you're like, do I have to spend the night again? I'm like, no. We just we need you for about thirty sleep for about thirty minutes, and where I put actually put a scope into the to their nose and and watch you know watch them sleep and look anatomically because some people on the studies and and still from what we know now too, um, there's certain types of patterns of collapse. Um, and certain types of anatomy that, you know, won't benefit, you know, right. from or won't benefit as much from the nerve stimulator. And so it's done to rule those patients out. Yeah. Yep. Looking at does it go, does it collapse from front to back or side to side, those kinds Absolutely, of things. Absolutely, yeah. Because um, we want to get the, make sure that this fits with the type of issue that you're having Absolutely. there. All right. Let's go to Carrollton and say good morning, Kathy. Hi, Jackie. Good- this is I figured it was my mom. That's uh, the only hey, Kathy uh, I know in Carrollton. Good morning, Mother. How can we help you? Uh, <laughs> well, as you know, I was recently diagnosed with sleep apnea, and I've been using the CPAP machine with the nose pillows. And I, after having to have a chin strap, I have actually adapted, and I think that I am seeing benefits as far as I do not, I no longer wake up with a headache and. I think I may have more energy as well. However, I truly dislike wearing that thing, and I cannot imagine. I'm 68 years old. I cannot imagine wearing that for the rest of my life. I used to enjoy, as you do, going to bed and going to sleep. (laughs) However, now I dread going to bed because I have to put all that stuff on my stomach to go to bed. So I have really tried to research and educate myself about the Inspire. And I had a question about um, MRIs and the Inspire. I have read that there may be a problem if you have to have an MRI once you have the Inspire place. Is that right? So they, and I love that you called. And, <laughs> and, I, and I hear this a lot from, you know, patients, what you're describing. Um, but, yes, it is MRI compatible. So the earlier versions were not compatible. And then I was implanting one that was so only certain areas mm-hmm. or the, the, um, the uh, you know, criteria with only certain areas could have an MRI. And now it is fully MRI compatible. There may be some limitations to the amount of uh, of Tesla or, or such, but overall you can have an MRI anywhere with the current 
um, current devices. So that is good news. That is good news. That was my one hang-up about it. <laughs> but I will, well, they speak to my sleep doctor about the inside. Yes. <laughs> All right. All right, okay. Mama. You're okay, welcome. Bye. All right. <sighs> bye. That has been her her one worry. So you may be seeing my mother well, in the in the very near her. future. Absolutely, I would love. <laughs> All right, we've been talking about sleep apnea and the Inspire. And I actually had a patient who um, came into clinic this week for me for a follow up and had just had Inspire placed. And she said, "I forgot to ask how long the battery uh-huh. lasts." And I said, "I don't know, but I have an expert <laughs> on the show on Monday. I will ask." So how long does the battery last? So the battery lasts about eleven years. And so at that point, and it and it wouldn't be a, it's not a big deal to change mm-hmm. those out but at that point they would need to be you know changed out um it's interesting I, or i have a i have one patient um or I have several that you know are late 80s that mm-hmm. have actually plant implanted device and they'll say i'm not you know i'm not worried about you know getting that changed out in 11 years mm-hmm. i'm like i'm still going to be seeing you in 11 years yep. Jamil. and some of them i've been seeing now you know five years since then mm-hmm. and I'm, they're still doing great but um well, that's a relief. Eleven years is yeah. a long time. It's not like every year you got right. you got to have those things replaced. Absolutely, and I keep thinking at some point there will be a different way to recharge mm-hmm. that as yeah. we. Yeah, technology to, to do it. Along. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So before you can get either a CPAP or an Inspire, you have to have a sleep study. We have to get yes. a, a diagnosis. And there are kind of a couple ways to go about that. The gold standard would be what we call a polysomnogram. And we're in, mm-hmm. in the sleep lab spending the night there. Right. right. And then there's an option called a home sleep study. And sometimes we'll see that done. Sometimes, at least for me, when I'm trying to order them, it depends on the insurance. Sometimes they want me to start with a home. Sometimes they want me to start with an in-lab. You know, if I'm very sure we have sleep apnea, you know, then a home will often get me kind of what I need to know there. But if I'm not sure, you know, if it's sleep apnea or restless leg or, you know, some other kind of sleep disorder, that in-lab really is the the way to go. What's the difference between those two things? There's definitely a lot more information on on an in-lab study and and definitely insurance drives drives some of that. And and like you mentioned before, if you're very sure they have sleep apnea, because the home studies aren't always the best screening tool, mm-hmm. and they certainly can miss sleep apnea. They can certainly underscore it. Mm-hmm. Right, absolutely. But um, so the in-lab study, but one of the big things with the in-lab study, a lot of those extra channels and things we do are for um, scoring sleep stages. They can tell if you're asleep or you're awake, what stage of uh, sleep you're in. Certainly they can monitor leg movements. They can look for seizure activity. They can look for some people act out their dreams in sleep. It can look at, that's called a REM behavior disorder. It can look for act, mm-hmm. abnormal activity in REM. So it's a lot of different things that can be found. There's also a lot of people who think they don't sleep all night. And if you get a sleep study, you realize they're in light stages of sleep, mm-hmm. but you would have to have an in-lab sleep to know it. It's also hard a lot of times if people have a lot of other health um, like COPD or really bad heart failure, you know, home study is not really. Oh no, those folks. I'm like, you got to, you got to go in lab, um, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I think it can be scary for folks thinking, "Well, I'm gonna, what? I'm gonna go sleep," you know. But it right. really is. They they make it as as normal as you right. can possibly make that. As you can possibly make it right when you've got stuff stuck all over you. But it yes. really does give us a lot of information that we wouldn't get. You know, the home study. The way I explain it to folks is, you're going to get. Um, I'm a little microphone, so we're going to be able to tell if you're snoring. Um, We're going to be able to tell what your oxygen level is is doing, Uh so, you know, how far it goes down. And then we're just going to get that number of times that you either 
pause breathing for a little bit right. or you don't breathe as deeply as we would like for you to, yeah. to be. And they give us that number and you know, number of times per hour. Absolutely. And sometimes you get we get really impressively high ones. And I right. go, well, I know why we're so tired. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you do, you yeah. go to sleep and you pretty much don't breathe until you wake up again right, the next day right. um, on that. But sleep staging can be so important because, again, sleep is not passive. It's not like either you're asleep or you're awake. Right. There are different things going on in each stage and sometimes the medications that we're on Mm -hmm. um, in particular some of the antidepressants or seizure medications can alter how much time we spend in different sleep stages and if we've got a deficit in one of those stages then we start to see the the clinical manifestations of what that would look like you know if we're not getting good stage two sleep we're probably going to have high blood pressure and and those kinds of things so it's really um i really prefer the in-lab sleep study (laughs) when we can get it but i also am um happy to get whatever a person will agree to to go get for me you know i have a a number of uh, folks who have little kids and are single parents and they don't have anybody to keep their kids so let's let's get a home and let's get it um done um so that we could get some information that way because i don't want to not uh, treat something that we could absolutely do to help you get closer to your goals. So in the last just couple of minutes here, talk to me about how much sleep we've talked all about uh, sleep, yeah. but we haven't talked about how much sleep we actually need as as humans. Right. Right before Christmas is a great time to talk exactly. about how much sleep we need. And we're all <laughs> sleep deprived, yes. right? Most so it changes throughout your lifespan, but most adults need seven to eight hours of sleep a night. Um, there are a few people that, you know, for some reason may need less, but that's that's a very small percentage, and there's a small percentage who may need more. Mm-hmm. But most people need seven to eight hours of sleep, and it's very cumulative. I think we take that for granted, too. I always hear, like, you know, I, sli- I slept, I was on call or one mm-hmm. night, or I was up with a child, and I didn't sleep much, and I seemed to feel okay, and then I slept the next night, and I still felt bad. Well, you really haven't, you know, caught up. Right. So if you're getting, you know, one night of six hours, you may need two nights of nine hours to catch up, or if you know you're going to have to do a night shift, it's helpful if you take a nap, you know, mm-hmm. beforehand or get extra sleep even, you know, going into it. But um, but it does differ through, you know, lifespan. Teenagers and kids, of course, need more. I mm-hmm. think people don't realize that a lot, too. I see yeah. that with children where they say they sleep eight hours, and I'm like, well, at age 10, we need You'd be you know. more than that, friend, more right. than that. Yeah. And it's so hard for them with all of the <clears throat> things that they have going on right. in their life now. You know, they get home, and most, you know, a lot of parents are, are working parents, and so we might not get them yeah. home until five, and they have sports and homework and all these different kinds of things there. And so I try and be a little lenient with my 15 year old on the weekend I'm like bless his soul he's catching up a little bit on on some of the things that that happen I just have to Uh go up there and make sure he's still with us I'm like what are you doing up there friend are you are you just hiding from us are you still sleeping what's going on um but it you know you mentioned that seven hours and that really is for the the majority of adults if we've got less than seven hours then I really want to start looking at what is key, what is what is happening right is it a sleep hygiene issue that we're not going to bed until really late and then we're spent doom scrolling um on our phone right. for multiple hours those kinds of things or do we feel like we have a sleep disorder there but you know at the end of the day talk with your healthcare provider about your sleep i hope yes. that your healthcare provider is bringing it up to you but if they're not 
don't be afraid to start that conversation, right? Absolutely. I mean, for so many nights without or with just the six hours, it's like having a night without sleep or Mm -hmm. two nights without sleep. And it would show that your cognitive function is down, your ability to react is down. And you don't perceive that. And you don't perceive it. People even have micro sleeps and they have no idea that they've had these like little miniature sleep episodes. Mm -hmm. So it's really, it's really scary. So definitely reach out Mm -hmm. and and, and don't be afraid, you know, don't think your regular healthcare provider is not there to, to listen about yeah, your sleep, right? Start absolutely. that conversation. Sleep's a big deal. Sleep's <laughs> a big deal. And if they don't know what to do, they are going to get you uh, hooked up with a sleep specialist like Dr. Lewis. All right, guys, you've been listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. If you didn't get your question in to us today, you can always send me an email, and that address is fit at mpbonline.org. If you want to go back and listen to our show or any of our episodes, you can do that by downloading our podcast. Just search for Southern Remedy on your favorite podcasting app and make sure to tune in every weekday at 11 for the full Southern Remedy lineup. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.